Well, the biggest challenge in any type of change for any type of coach, including myself and, and Alex and you, is to give up a known good for an unknown better. You know, that, that's really the ultimate challenge in all of this. And I think for so many coaches, this is really an unknown better that they just they haven't been coached this way through, you know, historical and cultural norms and the way they were coached. And also, to a certain extent, they're right that what they're doing is working, you know, and it's not it's not an easy thing to say, OK, well, this is kind of working, but is there a better way? And that's really the whole platform of basketball immersion for us is not trying to change people. It's just trying to challenge them to say, is there a better way? Is there something that you can add to what you do that makes it better? Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Chris Oliver and Alex Sarama of Basketball Immersion to the podcast today. Chris is the founder of Basketball Immersion, the basketball podcast, and Immersion Videos. Chris coached basketball for over 23 years and now provides coach education through basketball immersion to basketball coaches all over the world. As an expert in basketball decision training, he coaches, trains, and mentors coaches to maximize their players' potential and enjoyment of practices and games. What he is most passionate about is his work in sharing evidence-based coaching ideas that can stimulate your coaching to get better results. The goal is to improve your players' retention and transfer of the things you teach to their performance. Alex works with Chris at Basketball Immersion and is an expert at helping coaches apply evidence-based coaching ideas, including concepts such as coaching with a constraints-led approach. Alex is the head coach of College Prep in Borgia Italy. College Prep is one of the few prep programs existing in Europe which aims to send players onto careers in the NCAA or professional opportunities within Europe. At college, he also directs the player development program at the Italian club, which is renowned for producing some of the best players in Italy. Today, we dive into using a games-based and constraints-led approach, increasing time on task, and developing the whole player. Two quick things before we hop into my conversation with Chris and Alex. First, if you'd like to get a free seven-page PDF of the notes from this episode, go to transformsport.org podnotes, or click the link in the show details to get your copy. Second, in July, I'm launching the Coaches Club course and community. Too many coaches feel frustrated, isolated, and unsupported in their coaching. The Coaches Club course and community is an eight-week online cohort course and community that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader, surrounded by other like-minded coaches from across sports. The course consists of eight weekly masterclasses covering specific coaching topics, four one-on-one calls with me, and a lot more. Ten of the twelve spots have been claimed. The cohort will begin the week of July 15th, so claim your spot before they're gone. To learn more about the Coaches Club, go to transformsport.org slash coachesclub or click the link in the show details, or you can send me an email with questions at luke at transformsport.org. And if you'd like to reserve your spot in the upcoming cohort, go to transformsport.org slash free call or click the link in the show details to schedule a call to talk with me and reserve your spot. Now to my conversation with Chris Oliver and Alex Rama of Basketball Immersion. Enjoy the episode. All right, coaches, really excited to welcome Chris Oliver and Alex Rama to the podcast today. Uh, they are both with Basketball Immersion and really excited to talk with them, uh, all things coaching and small-sided games, player development, all that today. So guys, let's, let's start with this question. I would love to start off by just talking about the importance of time on task, why it's so important, and what are some typical things that you guys see coaches doing that decrease or limit time on task for players? Well, first off, Luke, thanks for having us on. It's uh, great to be able to talk uh, basketball and coach education in general and coaching practices. And uh, time on task is one of those ones that uh, has always stuck with me. And just just the reality is players learn by doing. So they're not learning when they're not doing. And we want to make sure that they're physically practicing, they're physically engaged, mentally engaged in practice as much as possible. So 
I'll let Alex get into a little bit of some of the things that, uh, you know, can help us be more effective at keeping players on task. But the number one thing is just to remember that practice is not a coaching clinic. And that seems to be lost on a lot of coaches is players do not need all the information that we know to be able to be effective as players. And sometimes that's what's get lost is that we're trying to impress players by imparting all of our knowledge rather than the knowledge that's most important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually learned, learned time on task from Chris like three years ago. So ever since then, it's, it's been, you know, in my practices thinking, well, what can we do to have, you know, the best rate, the highest time on task possible. And I think going back, building on the point Chris just mentioned, I think a lot of the time coaches give all that information at the start when they're setting up their drills, small-sided games, whatever, and just literally spending 20 seconds to get the players going into whatever the activity is. And then you can add your feedback later. That saves a lot of time. Something else we do, which um, which has been a recent addition uh, for our immersion kind of community, is this idea of bursts. And that was influenced by this time on task idea. So a lot of the time now, if I'm working on a particular concept, and it could be literally anything, it could be finishing one-on-one, it could be post moves, shooting, I don't know, anything. What I'll often do is have the offensive players or player stay for 45 seconds and put the time on the, on the, on the board, on the clock. And then they're going to stay and get multiple reps. And every rep is obviously different because they're typically against some type of live defender. And it means the time on task is sky high. And cardio-wise, it's very uh, similar to what you're actually going to see in the game because they're going for that 45 seconds. It's as soon as they finish their rep, they're getting to a new spot, going straight into the next one. Um, and that's just a small idea of one of the many things we do to ensure that time on task is, is high. Yeah, just if I could add one more thing to that, Luke, it's just the reality is for coaches to, to improve time on task, they have to be okay giving up control. So that's where it kind of comes full circle into this, if you want to call it messy learning or whatever you want to call it. But if, if we want to control and organize the whole environment, every single part of the environment, then players are going to be less engaged. They're going to be standing in lines. They're going to be waiting for their turn. And uh, a lot of drills and a lot of on-air drills, obviously, by nature, they control players. So doing things that are more game-based generally leads to increased time on task. Yeah, that's really good. I want to circle back to something that, Alex, you kind of hit on at the beginning of your answer. And Chris, you mentioned it too with practice as in a coaching clinic. You know, it's really easy for coaches to, the technical term for it is just to overload our players' working memory, to give them too much at one time. And so they don't retain any of it or put any of it into practice. And so I'd love to know from you guys, kind of practically like how can as as a coach how can we stay stay focused with our feedback so that we're not giving them too much um for a game or a drill that's an interesting one Luke. actually i think this is the area i've improved at the most with all my coaching this year um i think being very conscious of a lot of the times what, what you see is coaches will give a piece of feedback to the whole group. And then as soon as they've stopped, when the drill starts again, all the feedback that they give is totally different to whatever it was that they said. And then like, and remember this, Oh, now do this. So it's, to me, it's trying to avoid, I call it a scattergun approach where you're just firing bullets everywhere. And instead you want to be like a sniper, very, methodical and very precise knowing what it is you want now of course some players can handle more and i think that's where you have to know your players as the coach so for instance here with some of my players if if it's a player who learns really fast i know that he can take a little bit more whereas maybe for some other players i just keep them on one or two things and i'm not going to give any feedback uh, or anything else to distract them from that for instance yesterday we were doing shooting off a zero one two step and one player was repeatedly having his foot on the three-point line and shooting a long two. And I chose to ignore it for three minutes so that he could get the zero-one-two, which he was finding really difficult. And then once he could do that, we spoke about making sure he's behind the three. So that's just one example. 
So I, I, I love that. And I love the, the burst concept that Alex shared already in a sense, because that's also what, you know, directs your feedback. Your feedback should be in bursts. It, it shouldn't be in this, this as soliloquies. This is not a Shakespearean play. So we need to be able to obviously give the effective information that we want to give, but give it in bursts. And, uh, you know, that obviously helps you assess too, whether they're doing it or not after you give them the information and whether you have to redirect it or give it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, those things are, are both really, really good. Going back to something you said earlier, Chris, you, you kind of started to mention, you know, increasing time on task. One of the best ways to do it is to use a more games-based approach or to make things more game-like, right? Instead of kids standing in lines, we're actually going to put kids out there to be defense during um, a, a time when we're working on an offensive skill, right? We're putting those cues back into the environment that are actually going to be there in the game. So I would love to just hear from you one, like maybe let's just get on the same page with what is a games-based approach and then talk about some of the difficulties or challenges that most coaches experience when they, when they try to shift to it or implement that approach. Well, the biggest challenge in any type of change for any type of coach, including myself and, and Alex and you, is to give up a known good for an unknown better. You know, that, that's really the ultimate challenge in all of this. And I think for so many coaches, this is really an unknown better that they just they haven't been coached this way through, you know, historical and cultural norms and the way they were coached. And also, to a certain extent, they're right that what they're doing is working, you know, and it's not it's not an easy thing to say, OK, well, this is kind of working, but is there a better way? And that's really the whole platform of basketball immersion for us is not trying to change people. It's just trying to challenge them to say, is there a better way? Is there something that you can add to what you do that makes it better? And that part of this process. So, you know, that unknown better is really what we try and get them to understand. And then uh, I'll let Alex address what is a games approach and uh, he can kind of address that a little bit. So that's great, Chris. I, I love that. Uh, better unknown. I haven't heard that, that before. I really like that. I think, you know, what a games approach is essentially, as opposed to avoiding a lot of these on-air drills that we see without defenders, having offense play against some type of live defense. Um, so through coaching with a games approach, naturally it leads to what we, what we see random practice in terms of the situation is not going to be the same every time, which is typically what you'd get in an on-air drill, which is block practice, where it's the same repetition over and over again. Obviously, in the, with a games approach, it's a bit more unpredictable. Uh, different things could happen. And obviously, it's way more similar to what actually happens in a real basketball game. Yeah. Yeah, what are, what are some of the skills that coaches have to develop to use this approach effectively? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, no, it's not that different from another, like there's implicit instruction and obviously there's, there's creating a situation for players to help them shape skills, you know, this constraints led approach, which I know we're going to get into a little bit later. And I think is one of Alex's great expertise is, is using constraints to be able to shape players. So there's all these things that typically coaches use, the one main difference is, is that you have to figure out a method of coaching them within the context of them playing the game. And that's hard for coaches because I think traditionally what they've thought is once they start playing the game in practice, I'm going to let them play and I'm not going to coach them. And whereas I believe the most effective way is to be able to give them immediate feedback within the context that they're using it. So that is in a method of stopping game-based play and being able to give them this short burst of information that Alex already referred to and to be able to have them then continue within that. And always, I think the underlying big benefit of all that is that players get to follow feedback with action. And I think too often as coaches, we give them great feedback. We may give them the best feedback in the world, but then we, they move on from the context in which they need to apply that feedback. So a games approach allows us to coach something in the context of the game, and then it allows players to continue to play the game to be able to apply that context. Awesome. Yeah, anything you – go ahead, Alex. Yeah, sorry, Luke. I was just going to say, I think it's not 
as hard as it may seem for coaches. I mean, let's say we take two very, you know, typical typical basketball drills, like a three-man weave and a zigzag drill, right? In a three-man weave, maybe you just add one defender in the front court and maybe two defenders in the back court. And those defenders can only stay in their halves. So literally, all you have to do is add some type of defense and say go. All right. Same as a zigzag, zigzag drill, as opposed to, you know, having that script and movement pattern. Maybe you say, OK, you're going to play in this half of the court so you can't cross the rim line. But as opposed to having a defender who's just following you, it's a live defender. And, you know, it's go play. So literally take, you know, any of, of the favorite drills that, you know, you coaches listening to this may use, literally just figure out how to add a defender to it. And there you go. You're coaching with a, with a games-based approach. It's as easy as that. Well, it's such a simple thing. And, and, and I agree with Alex. It is more simple than people complicate it. But it also comes back to your fundamental question, which is how do you know it works? Right, Luke? And that, that's really the part that coaches struggle with more than actually, okay, what we're talking about. What we're talking about, I think, makes sense to most coaches. But they're just not used to saying this works. And the simple answer is, well, how do you know three men weave transfers anything to the game? We don't, except for tradition. Like, we really don't know it transfers everything. But what we do know is playing basketball transfers to playing basketball. And that's really the part that we try and hit home for people is that it is simpler than you think. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things there I want to talk a little more about. I think the first is what you were talking about, like coaches asking, you know, how do I, how do I know if it's going to work, right? But then also and it was kind of mentioned earlier, a games-based approach using constraints, it's often messy and full of mistakes. And that can be really hard for coaches to embrace because like we already talked about too, we have kind of been conditioned to think practice should be controlled and look really good, but that's just really we know that's not really how learning happens. So I guess my question here is, I would just love to hear you guys talk about the importance of how coaches respond to the messiness and mistakes in creating this environment for their athletes. Well, I mean, my, my simple thing is again, that like you get to coach games in practice. Like, think about that. Like, what do coaches, most coaches love games. Like, you love coaching in games. So you're just going to coach games in practice. Like, it's it's no different than coaching in the game. So the question might go back to people and say, well, how do you act in a game? How do you coach in a game? Like, you cannot interject and solve every problem for players in a game. And, yeah, that's a progression in practice where at the beginning of the seasons, at the beginning of the practice, maybe you're you're solving more problems for players. But ultimately, as practice goes on or as the season goes on, you're solving less and less problems for players because you have to trust them to be able to play the game because we don't control everything from the sidelines. And I would just flip that for people to think, hey, like coach your practices like a game more and you'll be more effective for your players. Anything you would add to that, Alex? Yeah, I think the messiness is just it's part of what the co- coaches have to embrace within the practice because the reality is obviously if everything's clean, neat, and tidy, it's just simply not representative, i.e. that means, you know, it's not similar to what you see in a game. Um, and so players have to practice on the edge of their comfort level if they really want to improve. And, and that's the thing with all these traditional drills. It's not pushing the players' comfort zones. They're just practicing in an area where they're already comfortable. It's not the desirable level of challenge. So obviously, if you want to hit that desirable level of difficulty, um, you have to have an element of messiness if you want to do that. Yeah, that's really good. And this is going to kind of continue on that train of thought, shifting a little bit from games-based. You shared some really awesome stuff, Alex, about um, like one-person workouts that you've done with some players and ways to take an individual workout and not let it become mindless repetition, yeah. but 
still still make it a, a challenging learning environment, like you just said, where they're on the edge of their abilities and they're still being forced to grow, even though maybe in this situation, there's not live defense. There's maybe you as the coach giving them some cues or something. But would you just talk about like how could we make individual workouts with players better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll start by talking about I think one of the things we're known for the most, which is our BDT, basketball decision training. And I think that is where I see BDT being the most useful in a situation like you said, Luke, where it's me and one player. Because, you know, it's it's a perfect way to create an element of random practice in that situation. And we've actually got a video on our YouTube. It's we got so many BDT videos. I think I did one. I can't remember what the last one was, Chris. I remember I did a post one, I think two months ago. Um, but there, there's a bunch on our YouTube. Obviously, coaches can check out. But I think it's if you are in that situation where you're in an individual workout, it's, you know, how can you, because it can still be useful, of course, you know, but thinking as a coach, how can you just randomize things so that players aren't doing the same scripted movement patterns over and over again? But then I think, you know, for instance, when I joined the program at, I'm at here in, in Italy, College Basket, when I came in, um, a lot of our workouts were mostly individual. And that was fine. But then I kind of said, you know, if we really want to create better game-like training conditions, have we thought about doing small group sessions instead? And I think that's something that really trainers should be thinking about in terms of if you truly want to create those environments and be able to do small-sided games, create opportunities for decision-making, et cetera, then that's where trying to move more to small group sessions is obviously a little bit more ideal. So I've never understood the one-on-one player development concept. And I just don't think that's a very effective model to be able to develop players. So Alex nailed it there. Uh, and, and look, I, I want trainers or coaches to think about it in a lot of circumstances and say, it's just not a good economic model either. Like if I'm a trainer and I, I want to drive business, then I want to have as many people as possible in a workout uh, while keeping obviously my effectiveness as a coach there. So maybe it's a one to three, one to four, whatever it is, but the cell is the benefit to the player is now you're connecting skills and decisions to game situations. And I think that's where obviously it all gets messed, missed is if I'm getting good at one on O it's fine, but I have to somehow connect that. And then that falls on the team coach to connect that for you. No, a trainer's job has got to be both those things, skill development within the context of the game and connecting skills and decisions. And that's where I think it's very limited to be able to do the one-on-o stuff beyond some isolated skill development, which is usually around shooting. Like if, if Alex came to me and said he has a player that he wants to work with that needs to get better at shooting, then that's probably an isolated skill session, you know, but that's, that's, that's a premium, right? Yeah. Literally, that was the only reason yeah. I would individual workout. But otherwise, yeah, you're doing a disservice to players if you're doing one-on-one workouts, in my opinion. You know, but I get it. That's what players expect. That's what parents expect. But I think we have to flip that on them to get them to understand the value of doing it in a group. And uh, not just from that standpoint, but how about from a psychosocial standpoint as well? Like motivationally, it's much better to have people there. And, you know, you can bring competition, different types of thing in that, as, as Alex talked about already, like we got to load them with desirable difficulties, but we also have to load them with with things that challenge their coping strategies to be able to become a better player. They have to learn how to deal with the struggle, deal with the mess, deal with losing all those different things that come with it. And that doesn't happen in one-on-one workouts. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think this connects to those small group workouts we're talking about, then also back to some games based um, approach to coaching. I'd love to now talk a little bit more about constraints constraints that coaches can use to shape the games and really pull out the skills or develop the skills we want to see. So let's talk about that. What are some common and like practical constraints that coaches could start using in their practices? And yeah, what, what are the benefits of those or how does that affect player learning and improvement? Absolutely. So basically, Luke, I think a constraint is something which coaches can use to nudge players towards using or more repetitions of a particular element of the game. So some of the, you know, the, 
the constraints which we control the most in the practice of a task specific constraints. And that's, you know, the activity that the players are doing. So things like the aim of the game. And I think that's where always in a lot of practice activities, having the players actually playing at baskets, like so there's some type of directional outcome. So there's like, you know, they're, going, they're attacking just like in a game. Then you've got the space they're playing in. So maybe that could be the half court. Maybe it could be half of the half court, the full court. The number of players that you have within the activity. So maybe it's a one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-three. Then you've obviously got the specific rules of the game. And maybe there could be like a point system where if players score in a particular way, they get extra points. Maybe it could be something like what they've got to do in the game. Maybe they can only pass with their left hand. So these are just some examples of basically what these task constraints are. Um, and, you know, coaches have to pick the ones which they feel are most relevant for whatever, whatever game or small-sided game it is that they're using. So Alex is world-class with constraints. And uh, if you go to YouTube, Basketball Immersion YouTube, you'll see a a bunch of examples of Alex's stuff doing it with constraints. Certainly follow him on Twitter as well, because he shares a bunch of these things. And uh, certainly within our membership area, there's so many things that Alex has shared around constraints and uh, it's just tremendous stuff. And it's, this is the fun of coaching is honestly, like you can literally use the same drill all year and just manipulate the constraints. And it simplifies the process for a coach. Cause one, I know I'm using something, you know, let's say it's a three on two shooting type drill. I'm using something that I know transfers to the game. And then all I have to do is every practice or every week or whatever it is, I have to change some of the constraints to be able to load desirable difficulties. And again, that's where Alex and I kind of look at this and say, this isn't complicated, but it is truly a blend of the art and the science. And that's where coming up with great constraints and these type of things are definitely challenging, but I think it's the fun of the coaching. And really, when I started going to a constraints game-based approach, I started to enjoy practice more um, because I just felt like, again, it was like it was more challenging for me and it was more interesting for me to be able to manipulate these different constraints. Um, simple answer, too, is a constraint is like going like taking Luke to the buffet and saying, hey, listen, at the buffet today, you're only having salad bar because that's all you can handle. But you know what? Alex can have pasta, too, and probably he's going to get to meat quicker. But, you know, Luke, you might be just at two things that you can do right now. And that's a great way of thinking about it, too, about individual learners and specificity of learning is that everyone's different. So constraints help you account for that more. Right, Alex? Holy. It sounds like the lunch I had here today, because in Italy, it's always pasta before the meat. <laughs> I know. That's you awesome. guys got it right. Uh, you guys got it right. OK, there's there's two things you said that I think are so important or there's a bunch. But the two that stood out, one, Chris, you just talked about you can use the same game and then just change the constraints. And so I'm, I'm currently coaching a fourth grade team. They're under 10 kids. And I've only used about three or four different games all year, a three on three game or a four on four game. Um, I love to play like three on three FIBA. So it's a, you know, three on three game that just never stops. And then, like you said, I'll add and load in different constraints. And so one that I used last night that, I just loved and I stole it from another coach on Twitter was I just changed the scoring of the game. And so it was called five, three, one, and it was five points. If a kid got a bucket without dribbling. So if he caught it and shot it five points, three points, if he scored a bucket off of one dribble, one point, if he scored a bucket off of two dribbles, and if they took three dribbles, it was a turnover. And so just changing the scoring like that totally shaped the, the way they played. Right. And, and we, I, they know the structure of the game. So like we're playing four and four FIBA here are the rules. And then they started playing. And then like you guys talked about, I would pause them and say, Hey, what's one thing that can make this better right now. And they start thinking about it and, and kind of where I led them was you guys need to be ready to shoot it when you catch it. Because if you shoot it off the catch, how many points is it worth? I'm like, oh, it's worth five. It's like, yeah, so get ready to shoot it quicker so that if you're open, you shoot it and you can get a five-point bucket. And so all of a sudden, the dribble, like the dribbling is reduced, the passing is, is increased, and the skill of catching it ready to shoot is, is the focus. And, that, and as I'm going through it, it's like, that's actually a ton of things that is happening 
but because there's a structure of a game that they know and, and because it's just this simple change to the rules, it shapes so much of the learning and the play. And again, it's like all, all those things are going to happen in the game with defense out there. So, yeah, I, I love that. And, and like you said, Chris, too, it's, it's so fun. That's the most fun part for me. It's like, what, it's like, what lever do I need to pull to accelerate learning here? Like, what mm-hmm. is it that I can do to shape this? And, and like you said, for kids, some kids, it's different, but how can I get these skills to emerge in the context of the game? Yeah. It's so fun. Such a challenge too. Well, just to connect that to you, that connects back to time on task, right? That you don't have to teach new drills every day. You don't have to teach, especially for the level you're coaching, you want them to physically practice because they're going to get better physically practicing. And if you show up at practice and you don't get physical practice, then you're not going to get better. So simplifying what you do and then just manipulating the constraints as you just did is, is absolutely the way forward because your players are going to get more reps. Totally. And what you just said, Luke, you know, the best part about it is it's all implicit learning. The kids are learning it and, you know, maybe they don't realize they're learning it because it's so fun and they're doing it through the game. And that's the thing with all these drills. It's very explicit, but the reality is it's often, you know, not actually retained and it's not fun. Well, and that's fun for us as coaches. Just what Alex said too is another fun part is to be able to, when, when they learn something and they don't know they learned it and we can help them notice that they learned it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's part of the fun of these games as well. Hey, listen, you couldn't do this as well yesterday, but you can do it better today. doesn't mean you're great. And that's the problem. I think too often we wait for these, these standards of competency that are far beyond what we should be acknowledging. And we should be acknowledging the process along the way and the little things that you were, you were okay yesterday and now you're better. Right. You're not great, but you're better. And that's that's part of the learning process that as coaches, you can really focus on within this games based constraints led approach. Yeah. Yeah. And what you just said there is so, so important. It's been one of the most powerful things that I've done with these 10 year olds is like you just said, finding moments to tell a kid, hey, look, you just did something that you couldn't do before. Right. We work a lot on playing off two feet and finishing off two feet around the rim. I have a kid who through the first month, like it was brutal to try to watch him go off two feet. And then he did it in a game like a week, a weekend or two ago and just went crazy for him. Like, dude, you did it. Like that was a two foot finish. That was amazing. And just to see like, you like that's so fun for kids when they see themselves get better at skills. And I think it's just so important that as coaches, like we've got to watch for that and we got to celebrate those moments too. When, yeah, when players do things that they couldn't do previously. And so that kind of leads into one of my next questions or things I wanted to talk about. Um, I'd love to talk about player development and the need for it to focus on developing the whole person and specifically yeah, how do, how do we design our player development in a way that develops our athletes as people too? Because if it's, if it's just about trying to put a ball in a hoop or in the back of the net or in the goal, like whatever it is, it's just, I just don't get that excited about only that. And so I'd really, Alex, I'd love for you to start because I know it's a big part of what you're doing at College Basket. Yeah, how do we make player development more holistic and develop the whole person? Totally. I, I think the biggest problem, Luke, is that player development traditionally has, has been very robotic. And it's kind of like the players have treated a bit like machines, like, like robots, where every player is the same and every player is going to do the same things. And we've got this checklist of items, which are typically, you know, dribble moves, finishing moves. And every player, no matter how different they are, is we're going to do it with everyone, right? And like you said, it's player development is it's it's like person development. Every person is different, and you know, partly down to the constraints that we spoke about. It could be their background, where they're from, their individual constraints, how tall they are, how quick they are, their wingspan, like all of this stuff means that what you have to do with your player development is really know the player, really know the person, and then what you have to do in your practices has to align to what it is that is going to help them the most. So 
you know, here at, here at college, all our player development is done in small group sessions. So I divide all the players into groups of six, sometimes eight, so we can play 4v4. It's typically six. Um, and those groupings are paired. So as opposed to doing positions, most of our workouts are with everyone together. So because the reality of the game is that, you know, basketball is a game played between players interacting in a variety of two and three person actions. And obviously if traditionally what you see, especially at the NCAA level is split guards and bigs, but then they're actually not getting time working together, which is what happens the most in the game. So a lot of the time I do these, you know, positional pairings. And then if there's a problem and maybe I see that the guards really need something, that's when I put them together. Right. But Within these player development sessions, you know, looking at the constraints that you have, a lot of the time um, applying individual constraint, individual task constraints to whatever whatever it is players need. So if on their, I do player development plans for them every month and we will share that at some point in the future on, you know, through immersion. Um, but a lot of, a lot of you know, coaches can see you know, on our platform, what I do in our player development sessions, but then I might apply very specific things to each individual. So maybe one player needs to work on, uh, on handling pressure. So to start the small side of game, he's going to begin by dribbling the ball from the half to the 45 against the live defender before we begin it. Whereas maybe another player has to work on ceiling. So when we start the small side of game for him, it's going to be off an inbound pass so we can seal and catch it. So I basically really individualize my workouts through applying different constraints based on whatever it is the guys need. Yeah, it's yeah. tremendous stuff. And uh, I'd, I'd say the thing that Alex is emphasizing there is you can't separate the person from the sport. Like we're coaching people. And, and then if you go into every workout, understanding that uh, the complexities of coaching people are significant. And then obviously we know that superseding all else is this psychological safety that, you know, we have to create the you belong and you're important and you're improving type of atmosphere for them. And that uh, if you keep that in mind, then you'll account for the person a lot more. And uh, circling back to what we said before, like the benefit of these workouts and the benefits of our practices, we can develop these coping strategies, this mindset training, if you will around everything we do as well, which accounts for the person and these individual differences. Cause the way Luke responds to feedback or mistakes or the way Alex responds to feedbacks or mistakes, as Alex said, is different. So we have to account for those things in our workouts in terms of how we progress the workout and uh, how we challenge the players. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that of uh, developing mindset, coping strategies, how do we do that? What does that look like? What are some practical tools that we can use to help our players? Well, mindset training to me, most, most in its simplest form just comes through competition, you know, and, and we have to understand at all levels, even the level you're coaching Luke players, like what is fun about basketball? What's fun about practice is obviously mostly, I think it's seeing themselves improve. And if we connect that for them, they'll be happier. Their parents will be happier. Administrators will be happier that they just know that the player is getting better. And players love that. They love that aspect of it. Fun is not frivolous. They also love competing. And I'm sure your players enjoy that too, that you're playing games in practice. They get to play offense versus defense. They get to play the game. So those things help us develop mindset training because players are inherently in a situation where they're going to struggle. And you only learn through struggle. And now there's an optimal level of struggle, as we know. We don't want to overburden them with struggle, but we also want to give them these coping strategies, the ability to be able to get on to the next play, to be able to move on positive, you know, it could be thought stopping, it could be positive thoughts, it could be cues, you know, it could be thoughts, um, parking, what I say, which is throwing away a mistake, these different types of coping strategies, but they evolve through competition, through learning how to win and lose. And that's the other part that I think is the most important part, Luke, for you playing games with your young players is every day they, they win and lose. And learning how to win and lose is by in, is in and of itself probably the most important mindset training. Because in my life still to this day, and Alex knows this running business with me, we win and we lose every single day with certain things. So that mindset training has got to be such an important part of all the development. Yeah. Anything you would add to that, Alex? I think, 
you know, building on Chris's point, I think the biggest thing is as well as trying to, you know, talk and nudge players towards growth mindset versus fixed. And it's funny because one of the best players I work with here, his, the start of the year, he had a major fixed mindset. And it would be, it would, and we have the best relationship, so I, I can talk about it. And he openly admits it now. And just how he's transformed in six months has been amazing. And it's, it's, it's been really tough, but it's been a constant fight to try and open his mind up to other things. And as opposed to like, you know, as well, I think with good players, sometimes they don't want to look bad. So I, I've had to be delicate with how I've approached it. But um, that's probably been the thing I've been proudest of the most this year, kind of the change in his mindset. And I think, you know, like Chris says, I think one of the biggest reasons for that is because we've competed a lot but then I've obviously reinforced, you know, differences between growth versus fixed and why it's so important. That's awesome. And you kind of mentioned it briefly, but I think it's the, the best thing that undergrids what you just said is you have a great relationship with him. And so he's open to it. That's huge. I mean, just, I mean yeah, we could talk a lot about just that and how important it is to have positive relationships with the kids you coach. If you actually want to help them grow. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. The biggest difference to me versus where, you know, when I was coaching last year in Belgium, because now I'm not head coach of the team until next year I will be, but um, um, as, I mean, I'll be doing both because uh, I'm head of player development here. So it's the relationship you have with the kids is difficult. It's different. It's not as difficult because you don't have to have the awkward conversations about things like playing time. And you're really, you're just there to serve them and help them the most. I think it's a very kind of special relationship and we're, we're lucky because we're in a very small town. So I can take them out for a pizza. I can take them out for ice cream and it's, it's things like that, which, and obviously I see them every day and I work with them every day. So from a relationship perspective, it's been so fun. And I think you, I can, I've really noticed the difference this year because of that. Can, can I simplify this for everyone? I mean, yeah. from what Alex just said, it's yeah. The pizza and the ice cream, that's cool. But you know why Alex has a great relationship with the player? Cause the player sees Alex as someone who can help him improve. So look, the number one thing for all of us as coaches, we have to be salespeople in, in our practice. And I don't mean like we're trying to sell a used car, but we're trying to sell the player on the fact that we're helping them get better. And if we spent more time on noticing progress, then we would have better relationships with players, better relationships with parents, because everyone would then be invested in the fact that, hey, this is working. And we have to notice that. And I guarantee through Alex's efforts, this player is now aligned with Alex because he goes, wow, I'm better because of this. And that's really what I've never had a bad relationship with a player that felt I was helping them improve. Simple. Yeah, absolutely. Show that you care about them, help them get better. We just don't have to overcomplicate it. This has been awesome. Uh, I have a few rapid fire questions for each of you. Would love to just know the first things that come into your mind. Uh, Alex, you can start it on these rapid cool. fires. And Chris, you go after. Here's the first one. The most fun part of coaching is? Seeing the improvement. Of course, you're going to steal my answer, but that's it. <laughs> it, it see people, you know, and see people grow. Like in whatever context that is, obviously that could be, as we said, psychosocial, social, it could be biomechanical, but just seeing people grow such a rewarding part of it. Yeah. The next one, it's similar, but for some people, the answer is a little different. So I like to ask them both. I know I'm successful as a coach when. For me, it's like I, in a few years when they come back, cause obviously they're youth kids, when they come back or I catch up with them and I see them and I can still have a great relationship with them. And they feel like I've played a major part in hopefully being one of the reasons why they're whatever level they're playing at. It's absolutely true. I mean, when you get, you know, invited to a player's wedding or different things like that, that's absolutely the, the ultimate part of it. Uh, just to bring it maybe to even simpler terms in terms of the day-to-day, -day, if they show up the next day, they show up the next day excited to get better. You know, I think you've, you, you've done, you've done your work as a coach and continue to do that because neither Alex or I ever wants to be their last coach. Yeah. That's so powerful, man. Yeah. 
I've, I've tried to be so clear with the parents of the kids on this under 10 team that I've I'm coaching. And I've just said explicitly this season will be really successful. If your kids have a ton of fun and every single one of them wants to play basketball again next year, I don't care if we win or lose 10, 10 year old basketball games, but I want them to love the game and want to come back. Like you said, that, that that's just such an important shift. And, and for me too, like you said, like, I don't want to be any of these kids last basketball coach. I want them to keep playing in the game just because, yeah, I love the game. And yeah, we, we know the benefits that they can get from it. Now, here's the next one. I wish I would have known blank before my first coaching experience. I'll say games approach, but then at the same time, I'm kind of happy that I started traditional and it wasn't for long because, you know, it, it's, it gives you a different perspective. And I think no one's going to be perfect straight away. It's impossible. Love that, Alex. And uh, for me, how to detach from my ego and my competitiveness. So I focus on coaching the person, as we've talked about already, in the most effective way that serves them. And uh, that definitely, I'm a better coach when my ego and my competitiveness are removed. And, and that's a challenge for, I think, all coaches, <laughs> especially yeah, with, the, you know, with the media ethos that is what coaching should be rather than what we know it actually is. Yeah, that's powerful. That's so important. So, so important for all of us to set our ego aside because it, it's, it's just not about us. And that's, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Here's my last one. If you guys had to decide, these are the top three things, every coach, every sport, they need to be educated on these things. What would they be? Basic science of skill acquisition slash motor learning relationships in terms of you know how you're actually inter like being a people person number three giving feedback yeah not surprising alex and i will align on all of those things and uh, maybe just to add some things just so you get different but obviously creating that safe environment um which which is all a part of that the learning process aftercare which i think is something that for a young coach it, if there's some one thing i would share with all young coaches uh, or new coaches, it's this concept of aftercare. What happens after practice where you can make a player feel better about coming back the next day? Because uh, however we interpret the practice does not matter as much as how they interpret their experience in practice. And uh, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. And in your case, Luke, it takes a lot of permission from parents. And probably you have to go through parents to be able to send a text to a player and to say, hey, listen, you know, I know you struggled with this, but here's what you did well this aftercare type of thing to get them excited. And uh, I think all the great coaches do that. And that's such a part of it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's powerful. And, you know, as you're talking about that, I, I haven't done as much of that as far as like after practice send an email or something to the kid through the parent. I know of some coaches that have, have shared that idea. I really like it and, and want to implement it. One of the most powerful things that I've, I've found just even within the flow of practice is when I give a water break and I actually, Alex, you use the term sniping. I kind of use the term sniping in a little bit different way. I try to like snipe individual players that I, that I see that are struggling. And so it's a 30 second water break and I'll call a kid over and just give them a, just a really quick piece of feedback or tell them I noticed something or ask them a question. I just think that the more we can be intentional about finding those moments to yeah, build, build kids back up especially when they're struggling. I just think that's so important to the environment we're creating. No question. No question. Alex's genius has been coming up with, with terms and phrases that help us all visualize it better. And the difference between the machine gun and the sniper in that sense is so important. So I'm glad that connects for you, but you know, that's something that should connect for all coaches is that we should be sniping players all the time. Yeah. This has been awesome. Uh, yeah, Chris, Alex, share with everybody how they can connect with you guys and, and see all that you're doing at Basketball Immersion. Absolutely. So our Twitter is B-Ball Immersion, Instagram Basketball Immersion. And yeah, coaches can reach us. Like, you know, if, if, you have, if coaches listening to this have any questions whatsoever, please do reach out, send us a DM. Uh, and we'd love to, love to help answer, you know, whatever, whatever it is coaches may have. Uh, share your Twitter as well, Alex, and your Instagram so people can sure. follow you individually. Um, sure. So my Twitter is Alex J. Sarama and Instagram is Alex Sarama.
um, as well as some uh, lifestyle Italy, like life in Italy. I do post a lot of basketball stuff, so don't worry. <laughs> I love it. And I'll, I'll put links to all those in the, in the show details so people can check out all that you guys are doing. Cool. Any well, final for, thought? Oh, go yeah, ahead. just for me, just in terms of the community as well. I mean, we, we have a tremendous community of coaches from all around the world now at all levels from NBA on down to youth level. And, uh, you know, this isn't a massive content dumping, although there, there is a lot of content. It's, it's, it's more, again, for people that want to get specific outcomes from their coaching development. And as we know, the greatest player development is coach development. So we feel that at Basketball Immersion, that's what we focus on. We focus on coach development that leads to player development and uh, helps coaches, again, make me- immediate benefits and, you know, adopt and adapt rather than steal. And I'd love to change the lexicon of how we speak about these things because I think Alex has never stolen anything from me. You know what he's done is either he's adopted it, I mean, he uses it because he thinks it's good, or more than likely what he's done is he's adapted it. And that's been brilliant, that type of thing, to be able to give things to the universe and to see what Luke or Alex or different people come back with from the ideas that we share. And uh, that's a huge part about basketball immersion as well, is that we're not trying, trying to create disciples of people that do it exactly the same way as us. We want people that are interested in their growth and their development and to be able to add things to what they do and come back to that fundamental question, is there a better way? And we think in a lot of ways there is. And sometimes Alex and I don't know the better way. And sometimes it's our members that bring us the better ways as well. So it's that interactive type community that we're grateful for. That's awesome. Well, Chris, Alex, this has been amazing. Thank you guys a ton for joining me and keep up the good work. Thanks Thanks so much. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Chris and Alex for coming out of the podcast. If you'd like to get a free copy of the notes from today's episode, go to transformsport.org slash podnotes or click the link in the show details to get a free PDF of the notes from today's conversation. And if you're interested in signing up for the next Coaches Club cohort, schedule a free call to talk with me at transformsport.org slash free call or click the link in the show details. If you want to learn more about the next Coaches Club cohort, you can go to transformsport.org slash coaches club or just send me an email at Luke at transformsport.org. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.